You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Who is here with each one of us, comforting and guiding us into all truth. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his strong name and all God's people type. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 through 26. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you that you can search the Scriptures with us, I want to encourage you to take out your smartphone and download the Version Bible app. That's Y-O-U version. You can go to the More tab, tap events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, click on today's sermon title, and you'll have the Scriptures, notes, quotes, and references Uh, I ask that every person who is watching or listening, that they would do so with an open Bible, an open mind, and an open heart. Search the scriptures uh, with us. Make sure we are teaching God's word to you. We are going through a sermon series through the book of Acts, and we are in part five, part five, and it's Acts chapter one, verses 15 through 26, And I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, Vacancy. Vacancy. If you've paid attention to America's religious landscape, apostles, and I say that in quotation marks, air quotes, with a little A, have started popping up all over the place. Men and women are claiming that God is restoring apostles to his church. These apostles have God-given authority and can, and can perform miracles and wonders. And they call others, other Christians, to accept their authority and millions have followed them. Yet many are unaware of what they are teaching, their non-biblical doctrines that are associated with them. I will state the people who are associated with this movement so that you can be warned, so that you can avoid them, and then also this, that we may pray specifically for them out of God's love for them, out of our love for them, that the eyes of their hearts would be opened and that they may see the truth of the gospel the crucified and risen Jesus for our sins, and then be granted godly sorrow and repentance in Christ alone. You may recognize some of these prominent leaders and organizations. Bill Johnson of Bethel Church in Redding, California. Mike Bickle with the International House of Prayer known as AHOP. Cindy Jacobs with Generals International in Texas. C. Peter Wagner, Lou Engel with The Call, their conferences, Chuck Pierce with Glory of Zion International in Texas, and Chayanne, the founder and president of Harvest International Ministry and the international chancellor of Wagner University. Apostle Brian Simmons, who claims that Christ visited him personally and commissioned him to release a new translation of the Bible. This translation is called the Passion Translation. 
Simmons worked on this translation as the sole or the lone translator, and he acknowledges that he has no background or scholarship in the original languages of the Bible. This Passion Translation has been endorsed by Bill Johnson and Cheyenne. Don't uh, give this Bible away, just get rid of it. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said, If you want to make a devil, you start with an angel. If you want to make a Judas, you start with an apostle. Is there an apostolic vacancy today? If so, how does the church go about filling that apostolic vacancy? Jesus' apostles here in Acts chapter 1 have returned to the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives where Jesus has just ascended into heaven. They are waiting in Jerusalem as Jesus commanded and they are praying to be immersed in the person of the Holy Spirit who would empower them for witnessing about Jesus in the world. While they're waiting and united in persistent prayer, there's about 120 of them gathered together, the Apostle Peter stands up and acknowledges that Judas Iscariot, the Apostle who betrayed Jesus and now has committed suicide, he needs to be replaced. The apostolic vacancy must be filled. And I want to answer a sub-question before we get to the big question, but why fill this apostolic vacancy at all, Judas's? Vacancy. Let's look in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. It says, In those days, this is the days between the ascension uh, of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. That's the family of God. The number of people who were together was about 120 and said, Brothers and sisters, It was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, that's King David of Israel, foretold about Judas, who became a God to those who arrested Jesus. Then verse 17, For he was one of our number, the apostolic band, and shared in this ministry. The first thing that I want you to see, why feel the vacancy, is this. Number one, The scriptures point to Jesus. The scriptures point to Jesus. Now, off the cuff, you may go, how does that answer the question of why fill the vacancy that Judas made? You need to understand how Jesus' disciples believed in Jesus. What kind of theology developed after they recognized that Jesus really was the Messiah. And this, this dawns on them in his post-resurrection appearances. And ultimately, what they come to realize is that Jesus is the Messiah of the Davidic line, King David's line. There's a promise that's given to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. And there, has, there was an initial partial fulfillment shortly thereafter the lifetime of King David. And then there's a second part to this verse that would not be fulfilled until Jesus' resurrection. And listen to this. It says, He is the one who will build a house for my name. 
And in this instance, God is saying that a son of David would build a house or a temple for God. And we know that to be King Solomon. And then notice the second line, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, we know that David dies and Solomon dies. So where is the king who lasts forever? So that the kingdom will last forever. And with Jesus' resurrection to immortality and incorruptibility, the disciples understand that the messianic uh, the Messiah from David's line is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Here we see Jesus' disciples' theology. Since Jesus is the Davidic Messiah, many of the experiences in the Psalms of King David are now understood as prophetically speaking about Jesus. Jesus' disciples interpreted many of the afflictions endured by a righteous sufferer in, in David's Psalms as applying directly to Jesus because he's the Messiah. If you don't believe me, your homework this week is go read Psalm 22 and ask yourself, the person who is suffering in Psalm 22, ask how in the world could it uh, affirm or be a part of the life of King David? It is clearly prophetic. It follows that if the psalmist in Psalm 109 verse 8, and that's one of the, one of the scripture references that Peter quotes here in um, Acts chapter 1 verses 15 through 17, that Psalm one, uh, 109 verse 8 speaks of replacing evil accusers, people who accuse that righteous sufferer, and the righteous sufferer asked God that God would replace them, get rid of them, and put in someone new. And here's the, the disciples' theology. If that was true of a righteous sufferer in a Davidic psalm, how much more so when the evil accuser is in fact the son of perdition, the person who would betray the Messiah? How, how much more should he be replaced and so, because of their theology that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament, they see Jesus in the Psalms. And they say, we must replace the person who has done this evil to Jesus. And that, of course, is Judas. So what does that have to do with you and I? We need to recall that the risen Jesus opened the Scriptures to the disciples, and then open their minds to understand the Scriptures the way they ought to be understood. The risen Jesus gave them the grasp to understand the Bible with Jesus in view. The Bible, listen to this, is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about you. The Bible, from cover to cover, Front to back, Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. The scriptures point to Jesus. And here's what happens. You say, well, then how does it relate to us? Because Jesus died for our sins and then rose again to forgive us of our sins, 
to grant the Holy Spirit to come into our life, transform our thoughts, our feelings, and our lifestyles, and then assure us that we have eternal life in heaven with Him. But the hero in the Bible, there's only one person, and that is Jesus. And we are recipients of His heroic work, His perfect life, His death on the cross, and His resurrection for our forgiveness. We hear it sometimes said, the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, is basic instructions before leaving earth. Now, if you mean that to be that the Bible is the rule book for life, and we need to just obey all the commands in the Bible, you have missed the point of the Bible. There's one preeminent command that if you don't obey it, the rest are all for naught. And it's this, that we need to repent of our sins and trust Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. If you don't see your need for a Savior when you read the Bible, and you don't want to bend your knee and uh, surrender your life to King Jesus, then you've misread the Bible. You missed the whole point. The whole point of this is that it's about Jesus. And because Peter understood that all of this pointed to the work of Jesus as the Messiah. He knew that the evil accuser, the betrayer of the Messiah, had to be replaced. Now, that brings us to the next sub-question, sub-question two. Is, is there still a vacancy today in the church? Is there an apostolic vacancy right now? Should there be apostles with the capital A? in the sense that we're talking about here in Acts chapter 1, running around and leading the church today. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. It says this, Now, this man, this is talking about Judas. Luke just is informing his audience about the story of Judas Iscariot. Now, this man Judas acquired a field with his unrighteous wages, what he, paid, uh, what he was paid for leading to Jesus' arrest. He fell headfirst, his body burst open and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language, that field is called Hekodama. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place, excuse me, let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it and let someone else take his position. And that is what Peter is been in reference to. Verse 21, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, this is Peter speaking, with the Lord went in and out, uh, went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these, okay, so among the men from John's baptism to Jesus' ascension, okay, from among them, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So let me put this in the most simple terms. The scripture here to our question, are there apostolic vacancies today? Point number two, the scripture states the guidelines for an apostle. And I mean an apostle with a capital A. All right? the apostolic office that these folks are claiming that they have. The essential qualifications of an, of an essential 
um, who had become an essential apostle or that's acceptable to be a successor to Judas are set forth. And there, there are four things that I want to point out. First of all, Peter says, a man. A man. And remember, there are women present at this gathering, but they are not to be nominated and they are not nominated. He asks for a man. Number two, he must be an associate of the Lord and his apostles from the time of John the Baptist's ministry and the day of the Lord's ascension. Now, another fascinating part about this, you've got to think about this, also present at the gathering are the brothers, the half-brothers, the biological brothers of Jesus. And they do not fit this bill. They are not qualified. You know why? They thought Jesus was crazy. He was mad. He was out of his mind. They did not follow his itinerant ministry. So they are disqualified, even though they've come to believe in Jesus post-resurrection. And you'll even see that James will be called an apostolic leader, but it's an apostle with the little a. He does not hold the apostolic office. He's essentially a, the church planter and organizer and leader of ministry of the church in Jerusalem, but he's not called an apostle that replaces Judas. Really interesting. Number three, they must be a witness of the resurrection. This is not a vision of Jesus. Jesus had to physically, bodily, in his immortal, incorruptible, resurrected, glorious body, have appeared to them. Okay? And so that knocks out some people right there. They have had to be a part of the resurrection appearances. And notice, to be a witness is not just to be a spectator. They're expected to speak up about the resurrection. They're going to go and tell others they have seen Jesus risen from the dead. And then the fourth thing, which is important, and we'll see how this plays out. It'll play out here in the text. They must be personally commissioned by Jesus. An apostle can't make someone else an apostle. It's really interesting. The church can't make someone an apostle. Only Jesus can make someone an apostle. They have to be personally commissioned and taught by Jesus himself. Now, I want to go ahead and answer one question. If you're a Bible student at all, you'll know, you say, well, what about the Apostle Paul? What about the Apostle Paul? Well, a couple of things. You're going to notice out of the four qualifications I gave you, he doesn't meet number two. Paul was not around to be there during the life and ministry of Jesus from John the Baptist's ministry to his ascension. And in fact, Paul outright confesses this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. He confesses that his apostolic calling, and he's not an apostle with a little a. He is an apostle with a big capital A. He has apostolic authority. That he understands his calling is not the norm. That it is abnormal. Now, why is there a, a caveat for the apostle Paul? And this is our failure to not understand the special character of the Twelve's mission and the, the special character of Paul's mission. The Twelve were primarily sent first to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But their primary audience were Jews, the Twelve Tribes of Israel. 
If you know anything, go read Acts 8 and 9 about the Apostle Paul's calling. You'll see that from the get-go, when Jesus commissions him, he tells him, you will be my apostle to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. The point is this, you've got to think about this. You're replacing Judas, who is a Jew, who is a part of the original twelve, sent to the people of Israel. And so they need someone with Judas's qualifications. Just think about this. If Judas wouldn't have defected, apostatized, and betrayed Jesus... The ideal is we want someone who's been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry all the way to his ascension. That will be essential to our witness in Jerusalem and to the people of Israel. That is not essential necessarily to the apostolic calling to the Gentiles. All right? And so there's a difference there. I also want to just push this in on you to let you think about it. Another reason, and Jesus alludes to this, when he restores the kingdom, uh, his disciples will, will oversee the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, So th- there is a significance to the number 12 uh, because of the tribes of Israel. But also think about this, and this makes me happy, Okay, just because it's, it's good, good Bible, is if you think about the Old Testament and how the 12 tribes of Israel work, Joseph, unable to you know, physically inhabit the promised land in Egypt, and then his family uh, you know, grows out from under him, his father Jacob blesses his two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And if you'll go and look back on your 12 tribes of Israel in the allotment of the land of Israel, you won't find a land of Joseph. You find two separate lands, Ephraim and Manasseh. So while there's 12 tribes, there's actually 13 names associated with the people of Israel. I believe the Apostle Paul fills that 13. Now, what does that have to do? Are apostles for today? Should the church be looking for apostles? Well, let me recall for you the commendation that Jesus gave the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. It says this, he's talking to the church, Y'all tested those who call themselves apostles, yet are not, and you found them to be false. Just because you claim all these things, all right, does not necessarily mean you are an apostle. This person is an apostle. So, let me review the guidelines, and you can either answer out loud or type it in the comments. Check this out. If you are a woman and you claim to be an apostle, you are false. Period. If you did not live to see Jesus' earthly ministry and claim to be an apostle, you are false. If the risen Jesus has not appeared to you, and I'm not talking about a vision or a dream, I'm talking about appear to you as, as, as real as I am appear to you. And you claim to be an apostle? You are false. And if the risen Jesus did not personally commission and teach you the gospel, you didn't hear it from anybody else but Jesus, and you claim to be an apostle, you are false. Is there still apostolic vacancy today? Are there apostles today? 
I'll let you discern this. You can do the math. The scripture states the qualifications. So are there apostles today? And now we get to the big question. What's the big idea? What do we need to take away from this? The question is this. Do present day apostles govern or guide the church? Or does something else or someone else guide the church? Let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 23 and 26. It says this. So they proposed two. The disciples did. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles to complete the twelve Number three, write this down. This is what you must take away from our time together. The scripture guides the church. The scripture guides the church. No one can set themselves above the scripture. No one can dictate scripture. It dictates what we're to do. After using scriptural wisdom... They voted, nominated, proposed two guys. The disciples' choice fell upon two of their number that possessed the necessary necessary qualities and qualifications. A man, they had been there during the life and ministry of Jesus. They had been, been appeared. And now we get to number four. Jesus has to personally commission them, Right? The apostles can't do it. The church can't do it. This is good. Follow me. So the disciples prayed for more guidance. The church asked the Lord to make the choice. Please, my grammarians, look look at the text. It says, you, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Lord here, what's the previous antecedent? Go up to verse 21. Therefore, from among them, you who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. They are praying to Jesus. You you could say it this way. You, Lord Jesus, know everyone's heart. They are putting the decision firmly in Jesus' hands. We've used scriptural wisdom, and now we're asking King Jesus, you commission the one that you want. And think about what, what, what's at stake here. Jesus, when he selected Judas, it, it tells you in the Gospels, he knew that he would betray him. This was a part of God's divine sovereign plan. And we can talk about that. That's another sermon for another day. But when Judas betrayed Jesus, the rest of the disciples were shocked. It caught them completely by surprise. So you can get the idea. It's like they get two guys that that are qualified and they go, man, we've been burnt before. (laughs) Like he, Judas totally blindsided us. We thought he was as church, as Christian as you can get. But we know that Jesus knows the heart. So what do they do? They got on their knees. Jesus, would you pick this person? You've got to pick this person. 
You've got to commission them. We can't. We don't know. And so they did something really interesting. This was not done haphazardly. They cast lots. This has a sacred uh, history among the Hebrews, the Jews. In Proverbs 16.33, and this, this happens for a lot of things, but listen to Proverbs 16.33. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. It recognizes God's sovereignty, that Jesus rules over and overrules all. In fact, certain uh, schedules by, by the high priests were done by allotment. There were several things that were done this way. Now, I do want to go ahead and acknowledge this, okay? If you're sitting there right now, because some of you are going like, hmm, I like this girl and this girl, or I like this boy and this boy, and you're running to go find the dice, right, or whatever, to make the decision. Let me at least tell you the rest of the story before you mess your life up, all right? This is the last instance in all the Bible where the people of God cast lots. This is it. In fact, the next two decisions that the church has to make in Acts chapter 6, when they pick deacons, and in Acts 13, when they commission Paul, there's only one thing that they do besides laying down the scriptural qualifications. They simply pray, and then the Holy Spirit leads through the church. You've got to remember, at this point in salvation history, Pentecost hasn't happened. That's what we're waiting on. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And who, what, what does the Holy Spirit do? He guides us into all truth. So now there's no need for casting lots, okay? That's, that's a part of that era. It's gone. So what happens? The deliberate actions here of this early church serve as an example for how you and I should proceed to make decisions individually. And then please catch this, and corporately as a church body. The scripture lays down the criteria. And we don't mess with the criteria. Okay? So the scripture gives the criteria. Then we carefully weigh the alternatives compared with Scripture. How does this meet up with the Word of God? And then we pray for God's guidance to reach a wise decision. This process, the thing that I love about this process, it brings together three amazing things. Number one, divine revelation, the Scripture. Number two, human responsibility. Use your God-given common sense and wisdom. All right? And then number three, prayer in utter dependence puts us at God's sovereignty. God, you rule over and overrule all. Have your will and your way. You know what's best. You let your will be done. That's what we're to pray. And we follow through with that. Please notice, though, I need you to catch this. It all starts, that whole process starts with divine revelation. It starts with the scripture. The question, what or who God's the church, is really simple. The spirit God's the church through prayerful meditation and obedience to his inspired word. The Holy Spirit breathed out this 
book. He has spoken to us. We want to know what the Holy Spirit has to say about a matter? Pick up your Bible. Pastor Chris Rosebro put it in these terms. When a military lays down its weapons, it is not because they've been victorious. It's because they're surrendering. It's because they're surrendering. Our adversary, the devil, Satan, delights in nothing more than when Jesus' church lays down our one, we only have one, one offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, God's holy word, the scripture, the Bible. When we lay that down, the devil has already won. We've surrendered. Why are false apostles filling these so-called vacancies today? It's a really easy answer. Because you and I are not committed to praying, studying, and obeying the Bible. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to encourage you with just these last few moments that we're together. You've heard the gospel today that Jesus Christ, the Bible's not about you, it's about Jesus, but Jesus is for you. He loves you. He came to this earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, something that we can never do. We cannot please God. We do not seek God's will and love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors who are created in God's image as we love ourselves. We've not done that. We are miserable failures when it comes to God's law. And God, in His mercy and grace, gave His Son up for us to come and shed His perfect blood and die on the cross for all our sins, to eliminate them all. That Jesus absorbed God's wrath and righteous anger toward our sin. On the cross. He did that for you and for me. And to prove that Jesus wasn't just some man and just another sinner like you and me, God raised his son Jesus from the dead and told his disciples after the resurrection, Preach the forgiveness of sin in my name. There's only one name who opens up heaven's door. There's only one name that gets the right ear of God, and that is Jesus. And if you're ready to turn from your sin, I'm not calling you to perfection. I'm calling you to change directions. Turn from your sin and trust Christ alone as your forgiver and God. You can be forgiven and changed starting that process and then inherit eternal life when you die. You can have that assurance today. I want to teach you to pray. There's nothing special about this prayer. Prayer is asking God for a definite blessing. And what I mean by that is this, is if you have no desire, all right, to confess that you're a sinner and give your life to Christ and receive the promises of Christ, then this prayer means nothing more than quoting your favorite movie line to God. But if your heart and your mind and you're ready to turn your life over to Jesus, then would you pray this prayer? Just say, Dear Jesus, I confess and admit, I am a sinner. I deserve your judgment, your wrath, 
your anger and hell. But I believe your Bible. I believe you love me. You came down for me. You lived a perfect life. And you shed your blood and died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you were raised from the dead. Please forgive me. Come into my life and change me and grant me everlasting life. I give my life to follow you in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you that if you prayed that prayer, would you go to our website, mtcarmeldemris.com forward slash baptism or hover over the home tab and click on baptism. Fill out that form. It's sent to me. You're not signing up for baptism, all right? Give me the chance to explain the significance of baptism to you. Baptism is how we go public with that personal private confession and prayer we just made to Jesus. Baptism shows publicly, it demonstrates publicly, when we go under the water, we identify with the death of Jesus for our sins, and when we come up out of the water, we're saying we identify and believe with Jesus' resurrection for forgiveness and new life and eternal life in heaven with Him. And if you've never been baptized, go to mtcarmeldemers.com forward slash baptism. We're going to have this building open sooner than you believe, okay? And we will baptize you. And then I want to talk to believers. We have to be discerning, not just in our personal walk and life with the Lord, but even in our corporate life with the Lord. And I just want to close our time. I'm going to put up a countdown, and I want to encourage you individually or maybe gathered there as a family or with whoever is with you, that you would pray along the lines of what the Apostle Paul prayed for the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Listen to what he prayed. His prayer for spiritual guidance. That's what we all need to be in the Word of God and then desperately dependent upon the Spirit to lead us by His Word. Listen to what it says. First, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you, y'all, may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk, live worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled or qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He, God, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Will you pray that the Spirit would equip and empower you with everything you need to live lives pleasing to God, to grow in the knowledge of God, and to bear every good fruit for the Lord. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.